Praise the Lord, everybody. Once again, we come to our study in the book of Revelation. And this week, we are going to start in Revelation chapter 4. And we're going to try to cover just the first verse this time, Revelation 4.1, because I want to give you several reasons why I believe the rapture of the church will take place before the Great Tribulation. Now again, let me repeat some of the things that I have told you uh, in the previous lessons. There are so many things that we could dig out of the book of Revelation. So many studies that we could engage in. Uh, for our purposes here in this series, we are going to read the book of Revelation together. And that's a great thing, man. Remember I told you about the blessings for those who read and hear and keep this prophecy. We're going to read the book of Revelation together, basically outline it, <clears throat> and also give nuggets. This I'm going to go a little bit deeper into as I give you these reasons why I believe the rapture is pre-trib. Um, and so we just would not possibly have the time to be able to sit down and just dig every little nugget out. I, we'd be here for the rest of our lives to do that. This book is so rich, so powerful. We just don't, we couldn't possibly uh, get it done. So we're using this as a basic study in the book of Revelation. And <clears throat> I have some other messages that we air and that we preach and teach that do take individual subjects, subjects of end time events out of the book of Revelation, out of other books of the Bible, where I go deeper into those particular subjects, such as not very long ago I aired a, a study called The End from the Beginning. Uh, and there are many others that we have and that we will be doing by God's help and grace in the future. So this is a basic study in the book of Revelation, and the powerful thing to me is that you and I are able to read this together. So let's begin Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. So we have now come to the things which must be hereafter, that division of the book of Revelation. The first book of Revelations, the things which thou hast seen. The second division was the things which are, dealing with the church age. From this point forward, we are going into the things which must be hereafter. Uh, the two words after this are from the Greek phrase meta tauta. Meta tauta. And it means after these things. So immediately what we're dealing here after the things that concern the churches. The first voice says, Come up hither, I will shew thee which must be hereafter, things which must be hereafter, and this is after the churches. This begins the third and, and basically the final part of the book of Revelation. It makes up the portion, uh, the major portion of the entire book. From this point on, we do not hear or read anything about the churches. I want you to understand that. Now, now, there will still be Christians, people who will get saved during the tribulation. But after this point here, the church, as it was previously, is referred to as being in heaven. Okay? So the church has been raptured, but there will still be people who will get saved during the great tribulation period. Um, many, many people today in our world are denying the rapture. They believe that the church of Jesus Christ has to go through the Great Tribulation, or at least some part of it. It's easy for you and I to get confused simply by the word tribulation. Jesus used the words Great Tribulation in the book of Matthew, Matthew 24, 21. He said it would be such as the world had never yet seen and would never see again. 
There has always been tribulation. And remember I talked to you briefly about there's life tribulation that we all experience on our journey through planet Earth. And then there is persecution tribulation that many are also experiencing now. And then there is the great tribulation. So there's always been some forms of tribulation in the world. And it's taking place even now in the lives of many, many Christians across the globe. But this is not the great tribulation. <clears throat> the great tribulation will be a period when God Almighty pours out His wrath and anger upon a sinful, wicked world. The great tribulation will demonstrate the wrath of God. Okay, you have to understand that. The Great Tribulation does not serve to prepare the church for the rapture or to purify the church. That is not the purpose of the Great Tribulation. Troubles, wars, heartaches, difficulties do not necessarily get anyone ready for anything. Rather, it's a person's faith in Christ, their acceptance of Jesus, and their living for God and drawing close to God, and close to His Word, and it's the Holy Spirit that readies the church for the rapture. Some people do turn to Christ in great difficulties, but others also turn away and curse God. Tragedy and chaos cause some people to pray, but it, it makes other people bitter. So God is not using those things to purify and ready His church. A number of scriptures relate to the fact of the rapture and to the manner in which the rapture will take place. I'm going to give you just a short list here of some of the scriptures that you can study <clears throat> on your own. Luke chapter 21 verses 34 through 36. John 14, 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and also verses 51 through 58. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. Ephesians 5.27, Philippians 3.11, also verse 20 and 21, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, 3.13, 4 through 13 through 17, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, also verse 23, 2 Thessalonians 2.1, 2, 7, and 8, Colossians 3, verse 4, James 5.7, and verse 8. 1 John 2.28, 1 John 3.2, 1 Peter 5.4. So you can take a look at all of those and, and, and you can either uh, wait for this to become available on free download or you can purchase CDs and help our ministry, uh, whatever the case might be. They, these uh, teachings might even eventually uh, end up on YouTube. I'm not sure at this point. The word rapture is itself not used anywhere in the scripture as such. But it's the word uh, that is used for the event that's described. So in other words, the, the, the word rapture actually comes from the Latin. Okay? But what it means is catching away, caught up, etc. and so forth. There are several scriptural reasons for believing that the rapture will precede or take place before the Great Tribulation. Now let me stop there and say this. Just because we believe in the pre-trib rapture, and just because we understand scripturally we believe that the church will not go through the Great Tribulation, that doesn't mean that the church will not go through tribulations. Remember, I told you there's life tribulation, there's persecution tribulation, and then there's the Great Tribulation. The first reason is Jesus said in Luke 21, verses 34 through 36, that we could pray and receive the promise that we would be saved and counted worthy to escape these things and to stand before the Son of Man. The things that we will escape are given in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19. A second scriptural reason for believing in a pre-trib rapture is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 
through 11. Here is another promise that assures us that the saints of God will escape the wrath of God. It tells us that we have not been appointed to go through wrath. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, we are told to comfort one another with these words. The great rapture scriptures that are found in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 17, here they are. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel. With the voice of the archangel, it says. And with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that word in harpazo in, in the Latin it's, it translates into rapture together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord the exhortation is to receive comfort from these words and to comfort other with these words but we can't do that if we got to tell them they're going to go through the horrible terrible wrath of God first okay now, a third reason we believe in a pre-trib rapture is in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 8. We read this. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. First, it states that somebody will be taken out of the way. This would appear to be the church, because in the second chapter of the book of Acts, we are told that the Holy Spirit will not be taken out of this world. He will be here to do his work and carry on the functions of his office during the Great Tribulation. So there's different opinion on this point. Some argue that the pronoun he is in the male gender and the, the church is spoken of in the female gender uh, as, as in the bride of Christ, but that's not really so either. We are in the body of Christ and Christ is a man. Christ is spoken of in the male gender and on that basis the body would not be female. The bride of Christ, which we will see later uh, chapters of the book of Revelation as it refers to the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. So the church is what is taken out of the way. And then, after the church is taken out of the way, after the rapture, the wicked will be revealed. And that is the Antichrist. That is the Antichrist. Now, the, the Scripture does say that he is making his people ready as a bride adorned for her husband. That doesn't mean that we are in the female gender it means, because we are the body of Christ, He's male. What that means is God is dressing us up. He is readying us. He is preparing us. Hallelujah. You see what I'm saying? What a beautiful concept. The fourth reason for believing that the Great Tribulation follows the rapture of the church is that after Revelation 4, all the way down through 19, there's a marked change in God's attitude in general. It goes from mercy, which God has been expressing for thousands of years, to that of judgment. The body of Christ is not here, and judgment is going to be poured out upon sin and upon iniquity. Absolutely nothing is said about the church on earth after Revelation 4, Verse 1. The church is mentioned in heaven, but not on the earth. Okay? There, Israel is mentioned, but they are not to be mistaken for the church. Because God deals with them. Their way of salvation is the same. It's through Messiah Jesus. Same way we get saved. But their dispensation is different. And I'm going to leave that alone uh, for now, and perhaps we'll talk about that uh, a, a little bit later in this series. Again, let me remind you that people will continue to be saved during the time of the Great Tribulation, but the church, as was previously known, is already in heaven. Praise be to God. Jacob is a reference to Israel. And comment is made about the time of Jacob's trouble. 
the time of the great tribulation will be a time of great trouble for Israel and also for a God-forsaking world. Israel will be brought to a place of national repentance. Hallelujah! But this is not to bring the church into submission. So the next great event on the horizon of time is the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. Nobody knows the time of the rapture, but it will take place. It will be at the beginning of chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. John said in Revelation 4.1, I'll read it again, After this, made a tauda, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. This has a twofold meaning. It's speaking of the rapture of the church, the body of Christ. And it's also a message to John. He was to see the things which would be hereafter. That is, after the resurrection, the church has gone to be with Jesus, and they're already in heaven. And what a great and glorious event that this will be. Praise God. What a, what a wonderful God that we serve. And what a great time that we can look forward to as followers of Christ. Millions of people will suddenly disappear from this earth in the rapture. Think of it. Certainly it will be earth-shaking in magnitude and scope. People involved in all kinds of activities of life will suddenly disappear. In a twinkling of an eye, they will be changed. Mortality will put on immortality. The Bible tells us that corruption will put on incorruption. The rapture of the church will be phenomenal and astounding to the watching world. To us as well. Praise be to God. There's really two Greek words used in most passages of the Bible that relate to the rapture. The first one is perusia. And it means personal coming or appearance. Personal coming or appearance. It is used for the rapture and for the revelation or the second coming or the Armageddon coming of Christ. At the rapture, Christ appears personally in the air to meet the saints. At the second coming, or the Armageddon coming, He appears personally to humanity on earth with the saints. So they're two different events altogether. Praise God. There's another part of the word perusia in the Greek, espousanagogi. Espousanagogi, and it means a complete collection or gathering of all the dead in Christ and all the living in Christ from all parts of the earth out of all denominations and all dispensations to meet Christ in the air. Hallelujah. Get the word all. Ha-ha. <laughs> He's going to gather us all. Hold fast. Until the end, dear child of God. It's coming. It's coming. Hallelujah. We are gathered unto Jesus Christ at the rapture. The word literally means a separation. As Pusanagogi, a separation. A personal coming to separate. Separating the godly living from all the others. Okay? As well as the godly dead. The second word that refers to the rapture in the New Testament is the word phanerius. Phanerius. Perusia is taken from 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23 and 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Phanerius is used in 1 John 2.28 and 1 John 3.2, also 1 Peter 5 and 4. The Greek word phanerius means to appear. And it refers to Christ appearing only to His saints at the rapture. He will not appear to the world until the Armageddon coming. The rapture will include all Old Testament saints and the church saints which are saved and have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb all the way from Adam until the rapture takes place. There's several reasons for this rapture. And I want to give you these reasons for the remainder 
of our time together tonight. And these, this all lends itself to the fact of a pre-trib rapture. Now I've got a lot of friends that believe in mid-trib. I've got some that believe in post-trib. I'm a pre-tribber. And I would just pray that wherever you fall in that genre, where whichever one you believe, that we would treat each other with civility and with brotherly love. Because listen, uh, there's been all kinds of nasty, ugly, hateful things said on the internet about those of us who believe in the rapture. They even call us heretics. But, uh, you know, you're not a heretic because of where you put the placement of the rapture. Okay, you're not a... You're a heretic if you deny the virgin birth and deny the, that Jesus is the only way to be saved and deny the Word of God and etc. and so forth. That makes you a heretic. But we believe, we preach, teach, and believe that the rapture of the church takes place prior to the Great Tribulation. And I've given you already several reasons why. Now, <clears throat> here are several reasons for the rapture. First of all, it serves to receive the saints to Himself, to Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is to resurrect the dead in Christ from among the wicked dead. Thirdly, it is to take saints to heaven where they will receive judgment for works done in the body and receive their rewards and partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So let me stop and insert this. While the Great Tribulation is taking place on planet Earth, the saints in heaven will be at the judgment seat of Christ, and that's not a judgment for salvation, it's simply a judgment uh, for the works done in the body, and it's, it's for rewards, and we will be given rewards, and then we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So apparently those events take approximately seven years because that's how long we believe the Great Tribulation is. Fourthly, the rapture will change the body of the saints to immortality. Now listen, I want to tell you something, folks. Hollywood ain't got nothing on Jesus Christ. You see all these fantastical things? Let me tell you what the immortality and the, the glorified body is like. Jesus, we're going to be like Christ, right? Jesus walked through walls. We will be able to travel at the speed of thought. Now you think of this. And there's so many more things that we could go into. And there's things that we don't even know. Hallelujah, because it hasn't all been revealed to us yet what we will be like in our glorified bodies. Hallelujah. It does seem that we will also be able to eat because it's referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's some form of celebration that we will partake in. Hallelujah. The rapture will change the body of the saints to immortality because this mortal will then put on immortality and corruption will put on incorruption. Thank God there's going to be no more sickness, no more disease, no more cancer, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. The scripture tells us that God will one day wipe away all tears out of the eyes of His saints. There'll be no more sorrow. Fifthly, the rapture is to present the saints before God the Father to be with Him forever. Sixthly, the rapture will take place and the object of it is to make the saints whole, W-H-O-L-E, in spirit, soul, and body. That's the term the Apostle Paul used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, when he was talking about being presented blameless and talking about our sanctification. You see, child of God, the sanctification process that you and I are in, oh glory, hallelujah, it will never be completed until we get to heaven. And when we get to heaven, the Lord, the Lord Jesus will make us whole, spirit, soul, and body. Praise God. And that's one of the reasons that there is a rapture. 
The seventh purpose of the rapture is to receive the fruit of the early and the latter rain spoken of and prophesied in the Word of God. The eighth reason for the rapture is to cause the, the saints to escape the great tribulation and all these things and stand before the Son of Man, will stand before Jesus. The ninth purpose of the rapture is to remove the hinderer of lawlessness to get the church out of the world. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 8. To remove it so that the tenth purpose can be accomplished, which is the revealing of the Antichrist. I personally believe that the Antichrist is probably alive on planet Earth today, and he, he may even be an adult. I do not know as to whether or not he knows who and what he is. Possibly so, maybe not. There definitely seems to be a point in time when Satan enters into the Antichrist as he entered into Judas. I believe the Antichrist is alive on planet Earth today and ready to be revealed. Ready to be revealed. And how that's going to happen, we do not know in its entirety. There are other uh, lessons that we will be looking at uh, some I've already preached and some that I'll preach in the future that will give possible scenarios as to the rise to power of the Antichrist. But the thing for our lesson today that we have to understand is he is not revealed until the church is raptured. Let me pause. Let me say this again. That doesn't mean that there won't be evil, wicked despots ruling on planet Earth that's not the Antichrist, but will persecute Christians, kill Christians, make laws against Christians. All of that happens. It has happened all through history and all through time, and it will happen before the Great Tribulation still. But it's, everything's amped up in the Great Tribulation. So just because we're not going to be here for the Great Tribulation, we may see some life tribulation, certainly we will, and also some persecution tribulation as well. It may also be noted that the following rapture, <clears throat> that following the rapture of the church and the Old Testament saints, there are other raptures mentioned taking place in the book of Revelation. In chapter 12, we see the man-child is raptured. In chapter 11, we see that uh, the two witnesses are raptured. And in chapter 7, it talks about tribulation saints being raptured. The tribulation saints are those who were saved during the great tribulation, who will come out of it washed in the blood of the Lamb. They'll come forth out of it. God will rapture them at some point during the great tribulation. Now, some Christians will not be ready for the rapture. I want you to let that sink in. And again, any, any Christian who's not trusting completely in the blood of Christ, but adding other things to it, that's dangerous ground, my friend. And we really have to get back into an understanding of the basics. You know, justification by faith, sanctification by faith, the basic tenets of the promises of God and trust Christ completely, solely, and totally. Some Christians will not be ready for the rapture. In Revelation 3.15, those who are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, he will spew out. Obviously, they're in the church since it's the church that's being addressed, but they will not go in the rapture. A second group that is not prepared is referred to in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Separation is called for, since light and darkness cannot have fellowship. The exhortation is, no doubt, for the Christian to come out from among the world, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you. The implication is if you do not come out from among the world, if you do not live separated from the world, he will not 
receive you. A third group mentioned in Scripture concerns those who are involved in religious activity. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Those who have had a taste of spiritual things and are not ready for the rapture will suddenly realize that it's actually happened. They will begin to think seriously and large numbers of, of nominal Christians in this category will turn fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence, they're saved during the tribulation. Also, there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists traversing the planet and people will get saved because of the gospel that they will preach. Further proving uh, that people do in fact get saved during the Great Tribulation period. Okay, so let's recap a couple things here uh, as we begin to close this session here tonight. To be assured that you are ready for the rapture, you need to be in Christ. You can find that 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. You need to be a new creation. You need to be born again in order to be included in the rapture. Also, you need to belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.23 and Galatians 5.24. A person is made holy and ready for the rapture through Christ and worthy in Christ. Luke 21, 34, 36. So it's a purified and a prepared people that will be ready for the rapture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, verse 2, verse 3, and 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Hebrews 12, 14, and Ephesians 5, 27. So now we come to the point and it's very interesting to me that after John is given this vision of the rapture, made a tauda, after these things, after the things that pertaineth to the churches, it says in, in verse 2 of chapter 4, immediately I was in the Spirit. Again, remember he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day when he started to receive these visions, now he's all of a sudden in the Spirit again. This could literally mean that he was transported in the Spirit to see the scene. Praise be to God. Could, it could mean that. Or it could mean that he was overwhelmed with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But either way, he saw these things. They were a vision. And when we come together again the next time, we're going to look more deeply into chapters 4 and chapter 5. Basically, let's go ahead and read chapter 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> and immediately after the vision of the rapture, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. This is all literal, folks. Remember, remember how the stars... And the candlesticks were figurative. They were, they were uh, types and sh they were shadows and they were symbols. But this is literal. I saw a throne and somebody sat on it. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Oh, the great covenants of God. The great covenants of God. John saw the Father. He was to look upon like a jasper and a sardin stone. A jasper stone is semi-transparent. References made in Revelation 21.11 concerning the light of the new Jerusalem. And it is said to appear like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. The sardin stone is red in color. John saw a rainbow circling the throne of God, which was green like an emerald. The throne of God is the center of activity in the book of Revelation. 
It is seen throughout the book down to Revelation 21-22 and also 22 verse 5 where it is associated with the throne of the Lamb. Hallelujah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The throne that John saw was a real, literal throne. Heaven is a real place. You might even use the term dimension. It's a spirit world, but that does not mean it is a ghost world. It is not a place of disembodied spirits. Some Christians just can't seem to conceive of God sitting on a real throne, but it must be a real throne because John saw it. So this is not simply a spiritual idea. Most Christians have a misconception when it comes to seeing God. They think they cannot see Him. John said, no man has seen God at any time, but the word seen, when you go back to the Greek, means comprehend. It means to understand things and everything about Him. No man has ever understood, see? No man has ever understood, no man has ever comprehended everything about God. He will be learning new and more things about God throughout all of eternity, praise God. We will see Him. We will look upon Him. John saw God in these visions. And it's expressly stated that men shall see His face in the new earth forever. Revelation 21.3, Revelation 22 and 4. Now we come to Revelation 4 and 4 where we talk about the elders. Let's read it together, shall we? And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So there's twenty-four elders. They occupy twenty-four literal thrones. It's the same Greek word uh, in verse 2 that's translated throne. The elders are seated on literal thrones, and it suggests that they have status and responsibility. They're clothed in white, which indicates purity and righteousness, and they are crowned with victors' crowns or wreaths, and that comes from the Greek word stephanos. The scriptures do not reveal who these 24 elders are, but they are ordinary men who have been raptured and are now with God, seated in places of special responsibility and officiating in priestly capacities. They're around the throne of God. Take a look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. What a, what a tremendous place and position to occupy throughout all of eternity. Enjoying the blessings of God forever and forever. We are all promised a wonderful position in Christ who has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 2.6. This doesn't mean that we're going to sit on thrones beside the Lord like the 24 elders do, but certainly we are raised up and we are sitting together with Christ in heavenly places. And we have so many marvelous things to look forward to because we have been redeemed by God's Word and by the blood of the Lamb. The elders saw that John will be occupying this position in the future. The, the elders that John saw. I get dyslexic sometimes with my notes here. And I say the words in the wrong place. But these elders that John saw will be occupying this position in their future. Now, these men will be redeemed men and representatives of raptured and glorified saints. It could include men like Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and David. It could be 12 from the Old Covenant and 12 from the New. It could include reformers like Martin Luther or great spiritual leaders like John Wesley. Who they will be, we just do not know. But the Scripture tells us that they are there. And so we know that it's so. And then in, in verses four, uh, 5 through 8, we see the living creatures, the sea, and more creatures. Let's read it together, shall we? Revelation chapter 4, verses 5 <clears throat> through 8. 
And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is the fullness and the completeness of the work of the Holy Spirit. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face like a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Several references are made to the throne of God and also to the seven spirits. We've already looked at it in chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 1. And now here again in chapter 4. Before the throne of God there was a sea of glass like crystal. And it doesn't really represent the seas that are like on this earth or any other body of water. It is actually part of a heavenly tabernacle which looks like crystal. Its position is right before the throne of God. That area is not occupied at this time, but it will be. Later in the 15th chapter of Revelation, we'll see that it's occupied by a great multitude of people. The sea of humanity, vast in its dimensions, this crystal sea must be to accommodate a multitude that no man could number. Praise God. No man can look on it and tell how many people there will be. That's the same way it is in the life and in the realm of our salvations. Nobody can look throughout the earth and tell how many there are of Christians. And you can never look at another person and say, oh, they'll never get saved. They're just too bad. You don't know who God is going to penetrate and, and get through to. Hallelujah. Just like we can't tell how many would be standing here on this great crystal sea. The Word of God states here that the sea of glass was like unto crystal. Crystal is used to mean perfection in this reference. So these are the people that God is perfecting. Amen? Undoubtedly, this will be a very beautiful experience. Now the word translated beast in verses 6b through 8 is from the Greek word zoe. Zoa. It is properly translated living ones. Zoe is the life of God. Zoa is these living beasts, these living ones. In chapter 13 it says two beasts arise and the word used there is therion. These Zoe in chapter 4 are not the brutes and the beast of chapter 13. They're altogether different. The creatures in Ezekiel's description are almost identical. Read Ezekiel 10, verse 20. So in other words, the wicked beast of the, of the coming out of the raging sea of humanity in Revelation 13, that wicked beast, the Antichrist, is the Greek word used is therion. For these beasts, same word beast translated into English, but the, this word is Zoah, and these are heavenly. Therion there is ungodly and wicked. Zoah here in chapter 4 is godly. Ezekiel saw them. He names the living ones of his vision cherubim, which is an order of angelic beings. So you can see that's what we're dealing with here. And John was no doubt astonished as he saw them. There are many references in the Old Testament to the cherubim. When Adam and Eve transgressed the laws of God and were driven out of the Garden of Eden, God put two cherubim with flaming swords at the entrance of the garden. When they made the Ark of the Covenant, there were two figures on the lid which were to represent two cherubim. 
Their wings were touching each other in the middle. The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies and was a constant reminder that man cannot come into God's presence except under the most limited circumstances. At that time, now we come into the presence of God only, only through the blood of Jesus. The cherubim were there. There are four cherubim in Ezekiel indicating their relationship to the world. Animate creation is represented here in Revelation by the living ones in their four faces. The face of a calf symbolizes domestic animal life. The face of a lion represents untamed, created life. The face of an eagle pictures the fowls of the air and the face of a man is God's highest creation. So they're all represented there in the cherubim. All of God's creation guarded by these cherubim. The cherubim are God's agents in carrying out the decrees of God in His creation. The many eyes indicate spiritual perception, insight, depth, and knowledge. This scene depicts the angelic messengers and the redeemed, resurrected human beings worshiping, honoring, and extolling the eternal God day and night together, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And in this section of the book of Revelation, carrying over into chapter 5 also, we will talk about heavenly worship. Hallelujah! Heaven's going to be a noisy place. Sometimes people get bothered down here about how loud our church services are. Heaven's going to be a noisy place. Heaven's going to be filled with the praises of God. There aren't going to be any staunch, staid, cold, reserved believers there sitting on their hands. We're going to be raising our hands to His majesty and shouting the praises of His glory forever and forever and forever. Hallelujah! And we're going to look at this uh, further as we close here and then in our next lesson as well. So let's read as we close. Revelation chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. Revelation 4, 9 through 11. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. That tells me, praise be to God, that our God is still creating things to this very day and will continue to do so through all of eternity because our God is a creator. Hallelujah. Oh, there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we've never imagined. The Scripture tells us that God is willing to do for us that which is beyond what we could even imagine or think. Hallelujah. Because He's constantly creating and it's created for His pleasure. Hallelujah to the Lamb forever. This great reference to God on the throne being worshipped by the living creatures and the elders. Again, it's a real throne in beauty and splendor beyond man's description. The throne that is surrounded by the cherubim and together with the 24 elders who are redeemed, they bow down before the Lord and they worship Him. The elders cast their crown before the throne and they begin to worship God. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. For Thy pleasure they are and were created. God, our God, has created all things. He is a builder. He's a creator. He's not a destroyer. Satan is the one who steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus said, I am come that mankind might have life and have it more abundantly. But you've got to receive Christ first. 
You've got to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to come and dwell within your heart. Hallelujah to the Lamb forever. The vast universes and all involved in, in them, God created. And of all of that, I want you to understand it as we close. Man is God's highest creation. All of the beautiful things, both things that we have seen and things that we have not seen, things that we have known and things that we do not know, but of all the beauty that God has created in all of the universe, man is His prized creation, His choice creation, His highest creation, man. And that's why God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life because God wants to spend eternity with you. You! God wants to spend all of eternity with you. Oh, won't you run to the Savior today? Won't you give your heart to Jesus today so that you can make heaven your eternal home and be freed from your sin and be forgiven and delivered forever in Jesus' name? God wants you to be saved today. Man, together with all the rest of God's creation, was created for God's pleasure as were the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim. And to worship God is the ultimate response to everything He has made. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so with that thought, we conclude our study in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. And when we come together again, we will gather around chapter 5. And it's going to be a glorious time. Heavenly Father, thank You for this special group of people that tune into these lessons, God, to study Your Word, to go a little deeper with it. Hallelujah. Father, I pray that everything said and done here tonight brought glory to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that You will speak to hearts everywhere, drawing them to the cross of Calvary to be saved, and if they're already Christians, to be strengthened, to be delivered, to be healed, and whatever need might be represented here. For we know that you are a God who meets our needs. And we give Jesus all the praise and glory in His name. Amen. And Amen.